right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle, all of our campuses that are joining us right now. Really excited about everything that's happening. And before we dive into the hymns series that we're in the middle of right now, I want to talk to you about Easter weekend. Now, everyone's talking about Easter Sunday. And here, it's not just Easter Sunday. It's Easter uh, Saturday and Sunday at Three Circle. And then Friday, with Good Friday and Tenebrae and all the things that's going to happen. And it's going to be an amazing weekend. But I want to tell you that Monday morning after Easter is coming, and you have a couple of choices about Monday morning. Let me tell you what I mean by this, okay? And today I want to offer you two options, and I'm hoping to talk you into, uh, if you will, making what I think is the right choice, okay? All right, so here we go. So a few years back, you know, I'm a Saints fan. I was a big New Orleans Saints fan, okay? And I grew, look, I grew up in the 80s. I'm loyal, man. I grew up in the 80s as a kid with a bag on my head, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, they were that bad, and it was awful. And then Drew Brees and Sean Payton showed up, and we won a Super Bowl. Now, when we won the Super Bowl, I was obnoxious about it. I'm going to be honest with you. My wife was kind enough. She got me all my favorite, like, uh, coastal uh, foods. Uh, I had red beans and rice and gumbo while the Super Bowl was being played that night. And we won, and I really do think it was, that was part of why we won. It's because of my commitment uh, to the culinary side of the Super Bowl that night. But we won, and for weeks I was obnoxious about it. Oh, I just told everyone how great the Saints were. Of course, we haven't won another one since. But anyway, now here's the deal. I celebrated that win, but I had nothing to do with it. You know, I just watched from the safety of my home. I didn't make one tackle. I didn't risk my body one time. The only thing I risked was eating too many uh, red beans and rice and gumbo, okay? Uh, that's all I risked. I, I celebrated the win, but I wasn't a part of it. Like, I didn't throw a pass like Drew Brees. I didn't run a single yard. I didn't make a tackle. I wasn't even the water boy taking them water. I bet the water boy celebrated. Now, how many of you think that if I celebrated so much being a spectator, how much more do you think it was special to those who had any part in that Super Bowl win, right? They'll never forget it the rest of their lives. It mattered to them. They didn't just celebrate as a spectator. They were like, I was a part of it. I promise you the water boy who carried water to Drew Brees during that Super Bowl has pictures in his office, in his house, in his room of that night because he was a part of it. Now listen, Monday after Easter, we're all going to celebrate what God we believe is going to do because we know statistically there'll be more people that'll come to our gatherings over that weekend than any other time of the year and there's going to be new people and we're going to preach the gospel and people are going to come to Christ because God answers his word, you know? His word doesn't return void and God's going to do amazing things and we're going to celebrate on Monday together. But I want to give you an option. You can either celebrate saying that was awesome what happened or you can celebrate going... I was a part of what happened. I had a part in that. I had a small part in that, whatever part that was. And I'm hoping you'll choose that. And to make it easy for you, we put Easter egg colored cards in chairs at all of our campuses and here today. Because listen, we've got volunteer teams that are going to give a ton of time that weekend that are already in place. But there's going to be so much more that there's an opportunity for everyone to be a part. Now, if you fill out this card, there's, there's opportunities for that we just thought, here's a bunch of opportunities you have. But if you go, I'll just do whatever y'all need me to do, you can just check them all off. And then what you do is you turn on the back, on the back of the card, and put your name and the best way for us to contact you. And it would really help if we could actually read what you write, all right? So uh, help us out there. I don't need a Hebrew linguist to have to come in to decipher what you put on that card. Your name, 
and how we can contact you and just let us know. And you can put it in the box when you leave today. You can hand it to any of our volunteers. They'll take it. Just get it to us. But this will be the difference. This will be the difference. You can still celebrate on Monday, but how awesome would it be if all of us together could go, we had a part in that. I held a door. I held a baby. I parked a car. I helped teach a lesson. I helped in this ministry, in this family area, and in particular, our family ministry areas are going to have a, an onslaught of people, and we want to do the best we can. So again, I'm hoping Monday morning you'll join me and go, I was a part of that, and we'll celebrate what God's going to do. Are y'all with me? So if y'all fill those out, that'll be awesome. We're excited about it. And then let's jump in today to our series, Hymns. It is well with my soul. What biblical foundation was that based on? Oh, well, the guy that wrote it is a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Here's a picture of Horatio. He lived in the late 1800s. He was a very successful businessman, a wonderful family man, and also a very dedicated Christian. Horatio was an elder in his local Presbyterian church in Chicago where he lived. But his family was marked with tragedy over and over again. The Chicago fire, the great Chicago fire, destroyed much of his property. But the greatest tragedy that ever struck his family, among many was when he put his wife and his four beautiful daughters on a ship to go to Europe for an event that he would come later to, and that ship went down in the Atlantic. Because it was the 1800s, you couldn't pull up a cell phone, so he, days later, got a telegram from his wife saying, the ship went down, and I'm the only one of us that survived, which said to him, my four daughters are gone. Okay? Now, I want you to feel the weight of that. Feel the weight of that when you hear the words to that song, when you see that he wrote this beautiful song. So here's the story. The story goes that he had to get on a ship and he took the same exact route because that was the shipping route to get to where his wife was. And the story goes that when that ship got to the spot where his four daughters died, the captain of the ship knew his story. And out of respect to him, they slowed the ship down and they came and got Horatio and said, sir, we want you to know that we're passing over the place where your daughters died. And Horatio Spafford, the story goes, comes out onto the deck and prayerfully begins to pen the words that you just read and heard. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, now you get it, right? Now you get the picture. The food, you get where he was coming from. But then he triumphantly says, it is well with my soul. God has taught me. He's taught me how to say it is well with my soul. Where does that come from, right? Well, I want you to know today that that peace that he experienced in the middle of the worst of tragedies is available to every single Christian. Every single one of us who call Jesus Lord and believe the gospel have that kind of peace available to us and we're gonna see it in the word of God today. We go to Philippians 4 and we're gonna be looking at a, a passage, a thought that Paul had when he wrote this and you're gonna see the apostle Paul like Horatio Spafford also experienced this unbelievable peace when it doesn't make sense. He shouldn't have been at peace really because his circumstances were horrible. Horatio loses four daughters, and yet he has peace. And Paul is going to write the book of Philippians, ironically, from prison. And Philippians is known as the joy book of the Bible. When people are like, hey, is there a book about joy? You end up going to Philippians, sometimes Galatians. Philippians tends to win the prize. And, and you may not realize that he wrote it from a horrific 
situation. Paul wrote it in prison. And let me tell you, Roman prison wasn't like prisons today. You know, there wasn't a TV and a, you're not out in the gym working out and all that, three meals a day. No, no, it was bad. It was bad. And yet he writes the letter to the Philippians. And in that letter, we find Paul teaching us how to have peace, how to experience peace. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, let's dive into that. Number one, we see that this guy's in prison, and in the same way that Horatio Spafford writes that beautiful, it is well, him, and it's unexpected coming out of that situation, this is unexpected. I would think if you're going to write from jail, you'd be saying, get me out of here. You know, help me out. This is bad. I'd complain. I'd whine a little bit. Instead, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Folks, the Christian life is marked by supernatural joy, period. We have a source and a reason to be joyful. And if Jesus never does another good thing for you, the cross and resurrection is enough for you to be grateful and joyful till the day you die. If he never does another good thing, he has done the thing that we most needed, that we greatly needed. He's won the greatest victory, the greatest battle. And so we have this source of joy. And I love that Paul tells us it's active. Rejoicing is something you learn how to do. And it's hard. It's hard to learn the rhythms of God's grace in our lives. But it's something that Paul's telling us to do. And then when it gets hard, he says, do it again. I love that he has to remind himself. How many of you have ever had to do the count to 10 thing to slow yourself down because you're getting upset? All of us have, right? Well, Paul says, yes, it's something you have to learn to do. So he says, again, I'll say rejoice. And then he says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What does that mean? It means that everyone around you should see the difference in your life. Reasonableness. That comes from joy. That comes from, hey, life is hard for everybody, but we should react different as Christians. It's one of the ways we stand out against the backdrop of our world. Our world is an angry world. It always has been. Social media just gave everyone a megaphone to tell everybody how mad they are about everything. So social media is our new way to let the world know. Immediate audience for our bitterness and anger and what we don't like about the world. And so, yes, in the way we treat people, in the way we do social media in our modern world, in the way you handle things, you should look different. It should be different for you. And I'm not saying any of us, including this guy, do this perfectly. But we should be known, he says, to everyone. This means it's not compartmental. You don't just play your little game on Sunday morning so that the church people like you. He says everyone. That means the cashier at Walmart knows, wow, that person's a little different. What's up with them? What's up with that person? People can see the difference God is making in our lives. And then he says this. It's, it's almost impossible what he says. Don't be anxious about anything. If there's anything the human experience is more even more than angry and entitled and bittered at times in our culture, maybe the one notch above it is worried, fearful, and anxious. That may be even more prevalent among us humans. And yet he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. One of my favorite authors is Paul David Tripp. Love his work, love his theological work, but he 
He also has a great devotional that I'm going through. It's part of my time with the Lord every morning. And recently, just a few weeks ago, in my devotional, he used two phrases that I want to give you today from Paul David Tripp. He said this, We must, as Christians, learn to live God-remembering instead of God-forgetting. And I want you to write in your handout, if you would, what he means by that. God-remembering, in parentheses, you can put, that looks like trust. It looks like joy. That's what it looks like. When you God-remember, it looks like trust and joy. God-forgetting, what does that look like? It looks like worry, fear, and anxiety. That's what it looks like. When we become consumed with the things around us, we have forgotten, as Christians, who God is. What he can do, his character, his promises. We've forgotten those things. But when we walk in joy and when we walk in confidence, when we walk in trust, we're actively remembering what God has promised, who he is, and what he can do. And that is a game changer for all of us. And I would ask you right now before we take another step, what is most prominent? Remember, we've been talking lately about moments versus patterns here at Three Circle. I know you'll have, we all have moments where we God forget. Is that right? How many of you have moments where you get consumed? You get worried, you get scared, you get anxious. That's called a moment. I'm not talking about moments. But what is the pattern in your life? Who are you normally? How do you react normally? That's called a pattern. And if you normally react by God forgetting, well, now that's a problem. We want the patterns of our lives, who we normally are, who we most of the time are. That needs to look like people who God remember. We remember his promises. And then he tells us what to do. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious. He tells us what to do instead. I'm so thankful. He says, here's what you do instead. Every time. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Instead, he says, to pray. Going to God in prayer combats worry and anxiety in our situations. Now, let me talk to you for a second about something. And don't take me wrong here because I, God does do wonderful, supernatural, out-of-the-ordinary things. And I would never uh, try to quench that in any way. But I have seen in my time, again, I've been in church my whole life, became a Christian at 12, been around it a long time, I'm 45 now. Here's what I've seen. I've seen Christians over and over again, and it's dangerous, get bored with what we would call the normal parts of Christianity. Like it's like... We almost roll our eyes at the normative means of grace of God in our lives. So we'll chase all kinds of stuff. The new hot preacher on, on TV that's got that new thing going or that new book and that new movement and that new wind that's blowing. We just chase all this stuff. And, and almost like we've got bored. It's the same reason that people can sell millions and millions of dollars worth of shake weights at midnight on an infomercial on your TV. For $49.99, you can buy a shake weight or, hey, four easy payments. And they'll put a dude on there and people believe it in the millions. A guy will get on there with this thing. You look at it and it's a shake weight. Just shake that thing around. And he's ripped, right? Oh, he's in great shape. Now, they haven't told you that he has spent 20 years of his life doing, watch this, normal stuff that has worked forever. What he did for 20 years to look like he looks, if he did it naturally, by the way. There's another way you can do it too. But if he did it naturally, for 20 years he's been in a gym. 
and he lifts heavy stuff. He picks heavy stuff up. And he eats chickens, <laughs> lettuce, and dirt. <laughs> That's what he eats. He's done it for 20 years. That's how he looks that way. The first time he's ever picked up a shake weight in his life is when they paid him 10 grand to get it out of the box, take his shirt off, and get on camera and look you in the eye and tell you, for four easy payments, you too can look like this. And people buy it. Why? Because it's boring for someone to look at you and go, if you want to look like this, spend the next 10 years of your life picking heavy stuff up and eating tasteless food every day of your life. There it is. But we get bored with that. Now watch this. Christians are the same way. We go, I've heard my whole life I need to pray and read my Bible. I get that, I get that, I get that. But, 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 and it's like, whoa, no, 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 no. The reason we keep saying to read your Bible and pray is because that's what works. That's where the power is. You want to see your life transform? You want to see it transform? Stop chasing stuff. And for the next three months, get up every morning with a Bible in your hand and your knees get bruised up a little because you keep kneeling on them and you pray and read your Bible every day. And I promise you, you will not be the same person in three months. You won't be. It's normal means of grace, and it's literally fireworks spiritually in your life. But we get bored with it. We just go, eh, it's got to be something else. You have you heard about this new book? You heard about this new thing going on? And I'm not one to quench those things. God does those things. But what will never change, what we'll keep coming back to, is prayer and the word. You with me, church? You want to know what I want Three Circle to be known for? The miraculous power of the word and prayer. That's what we keep coming back to, okay? So the Bible tells us here to pray. That's what Paul says. You want peace? Pray. It'll lead to that. Peter tells us why to pray. I love this. Peter says, here's why you should take all of your anxieties to God. Cast all your burdens or anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love that. Here's what I'm convinced of, again, after years of doing this. I've stood... It's a great honor, by the way, to, to stand with people on their worst and best days. Just this weekend, I stood in a hospital room with a group of people who unexpectedly were told we're about to lose granddad and dad, okay? I've stood next to people and they found out I got cancer and, it, and it's probably going to take my life. In those moments, for the Christian, I have found that what they're needing to hear is not about God's power. They know he's powerful. You can walk outside and look at the sun and go, he's powerful. You can walk outside and look at creation. We know God's powerful. You know what I found people need in that moment? They know God's powerful. They need to know that he actually cares about them. They know he's strong. Does he care? Does this matter to him? In that moment, I need to know, does me having a brain tumor matter to him? Does me and this divorce, this happened, does that matter to God, how, how I feel right now? My kid being sick, does that matter? Granddad dying, does that matter to God? And I love that Peter says, you better believe it matters to him. Every little thing that happens in your life matters. That's why you need to bring it to him because he actually cares about you. He cares about every little thing going on in your life. He cares. Isn't that good news, church, to know that our God actually cares about us? Bring him your needs in prayer. And then he goes on and he guarantees you something happens. When the Christian takes his worry and anxiety to the Lord, something happens. Now, before I take one more step, I want to 
I want to say something very important. Can't tell you how important this is. Because sometimes what we'll do is we'll miss what the Bible's saying here. What the Bible's talking about is what we would call, what we all deal with, concerns, worries, anxieties, being consumed by things instead of just concerned by them. But there are other things we deal with as humans that also get termed, and today in medical world, in mental world, is called anxiety that's really a different thing. And unfortunately, in the church world, we have, I think, often unintentionally, maybe sometimes intentionally, shamed people into believing that if they are, it's not normal concerns, it's actually things going on physiologically, mentally, in their body, this beautiful thing that God made, that it is shameful for them and less faithful of them to go to a doctor or go to someone when they are dealing with clinical depression or clinical anxiety and stuff they're dealing with. Folks, if God didn't want you to have that help, he didn't have to give it through common grace, but he did. And so as a church, we want to have a culture where we encourage people to get the help they need. Can I tell you, the book of Proverbs says, in the, in, in, in the company of many counselors is great wisdom. Folks, God in his common grace has given us so many tools in our hands. And we'll just say to you as a church, no shame in that. You need to go get the help you need. And when you're dealing with what we would term anxiety disorders, things that you're dealing with, Folks, if I break my arm, I'm going to go get it fixed. I had kidney stones a month ago. I couldn't handle it on my own. Trust me. <laughs> and you're going to deal with some stuff. And sometimes some of us deal with things mentally. So get help. God's given you that help by his grace. And can we just thank God for his common grace in that? And I want to encourage you, take that step. Thank goodness for our scientific community and our medical community and our psychological communities. Thank goodness for that. But all of us should, as Christians, go to God in prayer. And here's what happens when we do Philippians 4, 7 through 8. And the peace. So when I pray, something gets unleashed in my life. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, this is what's happening. The first half we looked at was a condition. You must pray. Normal, consistent prayer for the Christian unleashes something that is very abnormal. It is almost impossible to even explain it and understand it. What gets unleashed by the normal means of grace called prayer in the Christian's life is amazing, and it is peace. Prayer leads to peace that is unexplainable. How in the world does Horatio Spafford write that song after that happens? How in the world do we get the book of Philippians from Paul in a Roman prison? How? Because when we pray, something gets unleashed into our lives that's greater than any circumstance we have. Now, what kind of peace does God unleash in the life of the Christian? What is it? Does it mean that everything chills out, that everything gets better immediately around us? No. No, it, it does not mean that. The peace of God is three things. It's transcendent, it is spiritual, and it is protective. We'll talk about all three. First of all, it's transcendent, meaning that it does not depend on circumstances. How many of you know the story famous when Jesus... Uh, when Jesus calmed a storm. Do y'all remember that? He calmed a storm. 
Now, that is a classic case of him showing that he can change your circumstances. If he wants to, and if it's in his will, he can change the circumstances. So does God still heal? You better believe it. Does he heal cancer? I've seen him do it. But you better believe he does. Does the supernatural still happen? Of course. Why in the world would God say, if the sick among you come to the elders, let them lay hands on them and pray for their healing? Of course. But he doesn't always do what we want him to do. But he's guaranteeing here in Philippians that he'll do something every time. Every time you pray, he does something. So what is it that he's guaranteeing? Well, let's go back to the storm. That day, Jesus calmed a storm, but then he looked at his disciples and he lets you know what he was more concerned about. He looked at them and said, hey, why are you afraid? And why did you have such little faith? Even though he calmed the storm, he's more concerned about what's going on inside of them. That's the problem. Why were they afraid? He's in the boat. Why do they have such little faith? See, God will sometimes calm your storm. More often, he's going to calm you while you're in your storm. That's how he works. More often than not, he's going to calm you because he's doing something in you. And what's more important than even the storm being calm is your heart being strengthened and you being changed which is why Paul does not get out of that prison anytime soon. And it's why Horatio Spafford did not see his daughters until he got to heaven. But these two men trusted that God was doing something inside of them. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's also spiritual in nature. It's why it says God will guard your heart and your mind. Your heart and your mind are the invisible part of you. It's that part of you that... Is not physical, but you know it's real. It's your personality. It's where your decisions are made. It's where you feel. It's who you are inside of this physical body and dwelling God's given you. And God says that's the part he guards. He guards that part of you, it, which takes us to the last part, protective. God protects you. A few years ago, if you've not been at our church long, you may have not heard the story, but right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we didn't know a pandemic was about to happen, but we had impeccable timing. Myself and 12 others at our church went to tour the Holy Land, and we were all over the news because we got stuck there. Because crazy enough, a pandemic exploded all over the world while we were there. And this was interesting. There had been no COVID in the Middle East region where we were, and the first case of it in the entire region was not just where we were, in the hotel where we were. And we got stuck in that hotel. And then we find out we're in a pretty dangerous area. We're in the Bethlehem area. That's not actually in Israel anymore. It's across the border. We're in a, we're in a tough situation. And we find out through different channels that some dangerous people know where we are, all that kind of stuff. And so we're, we're a little worried, and there's people working to help us more than we realized. And so we just kept trusting God. And then we hear commotion outside. We look outside, and we got some pictures of it. But these guys start showing up around our hotel. That's not a water gun, by the way, just to let you know. Here's another picture. They just kept pouring in until they surrounded our hotel, all the way around the hotel. We're going, oh, my gosh, this is happening right now. These Palestinian guards and all this stuff's happening. We thought, this is going down. This is not good. And then I get a call, and the captain of that guard says to me, people, he won't tell me who, very high up, have told us that we are to protect you. We, listen, we are not here to keep you in the hotel. We're here to keep the bad guys out. Suddenly, I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> right? Suddenly, everything changed. He said, we're here to protect you. 
We're not here to keep you in that hotel. We know you'll stay in the hotel. We're here to keep the bad guys out. And as long as you're there, we're going to be here. Someone unleashed something. And the Bible's telling you that when you pray, God does the same thing. He guards your heart, mind, and soul. That part of you that can break so easily. See, you only guard things that are worthy of it. You only guard valuable things. And God says the most valuable thing. In fact, go back to the Old Testament. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. That's the invisible part of you for everything else flows from it. And then you go to Philippians and Paul says, and here's how you do it. How do you guard your heart? Pray. Number one, the normal, ordinary means of grace. When you pray, God guards your heart with his peace. And he says, as long as you come to me, I'm going to hold you together. And sometimes I'll calm the storm. Other times, I'm going to calm you. But I guarantee you, I will calm you. You won't even be able to explain it. Horatio tried to explain it by writing a song. It is well with my soul. Paul did explain it under the inspiration of the Spirit by writing Philippians. And he tells us the word guard is a military term. That word guard is a military term. It's exactly what happened to us in Israel. God guards our spirits, the most fragile part of us. And then he ends where we'll end today before we pray together. Living in this peace requires a new way of thinking. That's what he tells you. you got to start thinking differently and think on the things of God and focus on the things of God. And that's how you stay in that place of peace, a new way of thinking. Now, here's what we want to do today at Three Circle. We don't do this every week. We're doing it today. Our team's going to come, and our ministerial team, many of them are going to be right here at the front. They're going to come right now, female and male. They're going to come. They're going to be at the front, and we're going to do. I can't imagine preaching on prayer and then us not praying. And some of you have heavy burdens. And I want to invite you today to do something uncomfortable. Get out of your seat. There's nothing magical about it, but there is something about it. And come find a place and pray. And you may want one of them to pray with you. These are awesome people, men and women, who would love to pray with you. And I'm going to pray. And on my amen, I'm going to invite you to just come and do what God commanded you to do and bring it to him, your cares. Would you stand if you're able all over the room? I'm going to pray. On my amen, you come. Heavenly Father, thank you for the peace that you offer us. And now by your grace, I pray that many will come and bring their burdens to you and that you would unleash the guard for their spirits of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, you come. This is your time now. Come spend some time with Jesus. Come pray. Come bring it to the Lord. Don't wait. Don't look around. Just come and spend some time with the Lord. Bring your burdens to the Lord.